Chapter Four, Part One of the Bronze Eagle by Baroness Orksey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. De Marmont, having successfully shot his poisoned arrow and brought down his enemy, had no longer any ill feeling against Clifford. His jealousy had been short-lived. It was set at rest by the brief episode which had culminated in the Englishman's final exit from the castle of Brestelow. Not a single detail of that moving little episode had escaped de Marmont's keen eyes. He had seen Crystal's look of positive abhorrence wherewith she had regarded Clifford. He had seen the gathering up of her skirts away, as it were, from the contaminating propinquity of the English spy, and de Marmont was satisfied. He was perfectly ready to pick up the strained strands of friendship with the Englishman, and affected not to notice the latter's absorption and moodiness. "'Can I drive you into Grenoble, my good Clifford?' he asked airily, as he paused on the top of the Perrin steps, waiting for the hackney coach. "'I thank you,' replied Clifford. "'I prefer to walk. It is eight kilometres and a pitch-dark night. I know my way, I thank you. Just as you like.' He paused a moment and began humming the Marseille. Clifford started walking down the monumental steps. "'Well, I'll say good-night, de Marmont,' he said coldly, "'and good-bye, too.' "'You are not going away,' queried the other, "'as soon as I get the means of going. "'Troops will be on the move all over the country soon. "'Foreigners will be interned. "'You will have some difficulty in getting away. "'I know that. "'That's why I want to make arrangements as early as possible.' where will you stay in the meanwhile possibly at the trois dauphines if i can get a room i shall see you again then the emperor will stay there while he is in grenoble well good-night my dear friend said de marmont as he extended a cordial hand to clifford who in the dark evidently failed to see it and don't take the insults of all these fools too much to heart and he gave an expressive nod in the direction of the stately castle behind him they are dolts he continued airily if they possessed a grain of sense they would have kept on friendly terms with me as that old fool's son-in-law i could have saved him from all the reprisals which will inevitably fall on all these royalist traitors now that the emperor has come into his own again clifford was halfway down the stone steps when these words of de marmont struck upon his ear instinctively he retraced his steps there was a suggestion of impending danger to crystal in what the young man had said what do you mean by talking about reprisals he asked oh only the inevitable replied de marmont the people of the dauphine 
never cared for these royalists you know and didn't learn to like them any better in these past eleven months since the restoration monsieur le comte de cambray has been very high and mighty since his return from exile he may yet come to wish that he had never quitted the comfortable little provincial town in england where he gave drawing lessons and french lessons to some very bourgeois boys but here's that coach at last he continued with that jaunty air which he had assumed since turning his back upon the reception halls of brestolo are you sure that you would rather walk than drive with me no replied clifford abruptly i am not sure thank you very much i think that if you don't object to my somewhat morose company i would like a lift as far as grenoble he wanted to make de marmont talk to hear what the young man had to say from it he thought that he could learn more accurately what danger would threaten brestelot in the event of napoleon's successful march to paris that the great adventurer's triumph would be short-lived clifford was perfectly sure he knew the temper of england and believed in the military genius of wellington england would never tolerate for a moment longer than she could help that the firebrand of europe should once more sit upon the throne of france and unless the allies had greatly altered their policy in the past ten months and refused england the necessary support wellington would be more than a match for the decimated army of bonaparte but a few weeks months perhaps might elapse before napoleon was once again put entirely out of action and this time more completely and more effectually than with a small kingdom wherein to dream again of european conquests during those weeks and months brestelot and its inhabitants would be at the mercy of the man from corsica the island of unrest and of never sleeping vendetta de marmont was ready enough to talk he knew nothing of course of napoleon's plans and ideas save what emory had told him but what he lacked in knowledge he more than made up in imagination excitement too had made him voluble he talked freely and incessantly the emperor would do this the emperor will never tolerate that was all the time on his lips he bragged and he swaggered launched into passionate eulogies of the emperor and fiery denunciations of his enemies berthier clark Fucher, de marmont they all deserved death ney alone was to be pardoned for ney was a fine soldier always supposing that ney would repent but men like the comte de cambray were a pest in any country mischief-making and intriguing bah the emperor will never tolerate them suddenly clifford who had become half drowsy lulled to somnolence by de marmont's incessant chatter and the monotonous 
jog-trot of the horses woke to complete consciousness he pricked his ears and in a moment was all attention they think that they can deceive me de marmont was saying airily they think that i am as great a fool as they are with their talk of madame la duchesse's journey north directly after the wedding bah any dolt can put two and two together the comte tells me in one breath that he had a visit from fourier in the afternoon and that the duchess who only arrived in brestelot yesterday would leave again for paris on the day after to-morrow and he tells it me with a mysterious air and adds a knowing wink and a promise that he would explain himself more fully later on i could have laughed if it were not all so miserably stupid he paused for want of breath and tried to peer through the window of the coach it is pitch dark he said but we can't be very far from the city now i don't see rejoined clifford ostentatiously smothering a yawn what monsieur le prophet's visit to brestelot had to do with the duchess's journey to the north you have got intrigues on the brain my good de marmont and with well-feigned indifference he settled himself more cosily into the dark corner of the carriage de marmont laughed what fourier's afternoon visit has to do with madame d'agen's journey he retorted i'll tell you my good clifford fourier went to see monsieur le comte de cambray this afternoon because he is a poltroon he is terrified at the thought that the unfortunate empress's money and treasure are still lying in the cellars of the hotel de ville and he went out to brestelot in order to consult with the comte what had best be done with the money i didn't know the ex-empress's money was lying in the cellar of the hotel de ville remarked clifford with well-assumed indifference nor did i until emery told me rejoined de marmont the money is there though stolen from the empress marie louise by that arch intriguer talleyrand twenty-five millions in notes and drafts the emperor reckons on it for current expenses until he has reached paris and taken over the treasury even then i don't see what madame la duchesse d'agen has to do with it you don't said de marmont dryly but i did in a moment fourier wouldn't keep the money at the hotel de ville the comte de cambray would not allow it to be deposited in his house they both want the bourbon to have it so in order to lull suspicion they have decided that madame la duchesse shall take the money to paris well perhaps said clifford with a yawn but are we not in grenoble yet once more he lapsed into silence closed his eyes and to all intents and purposes fell asleep for never another word did de marmont get out of him until grenoble was reached and the rue montorge here de marmont had his lodgings 
three doors from the hotel des trois dauphines where fortunately clifford managed to secure a comfortable room for himself he parted quite amicably from de marmont promising to call in upon him in the morning it would be foolish to quarrel with that young windbag now he knew some things and talked of a great many more preparations against the arrival of the corsican ogre were proceeding apace general marchand had been overconfident throughout the day which was the fifth of march the troops he said were loyal to a man they were coming in fast from chambery and vienne the garrison would and could repulse that band of pirates and take upon itself to fulfil the promise which ney had made to the king namely to bring the ogre to his majesty bound and gagged in an iron cage but the following day which was the sixth many things occurred to shake the commandant's confidence napoleon's proclamation was not only posted up all over the town but the citizens were distributing the printed leaflets among themselves one of the officers on the staff pointed out to general marchand that the fourth regiment of artillery quartered in grenoble was the one in which bonaparte had served as a lieutenant during the revolution the men it was argued would never turn their arms against one whom they had never ceased to idolize it would not be safe to march out into the open with men whose loyalty was so very doubtful there was a rumor current in the town that when the men of the fifth regiment of engineers and the fourth of artillery were told that napoleon had only eleven hundred men with him they all murmured with one accord and what about us therefore general marchand taking all these facts into consideration made up his mind to await the ogre inside the walls of grenoble here at any rate defections and desertions would be less likely to occur than in the field he set to work to organize the city into a state of defense forty-seven guns were put in position upon the ramparts which dominate the road to the south and he sent a company of engineers and a battalion of infantry to blow up the bridge of pont at lamur the royalists in the city who were beginning to feel very anxious had assembled in force to cheer these troops as they marched out of the city but the attitude of the sapors created a very unpleasant impression they marched out in disorder some of them tore the white cockade from their shakos and one or two cries of viva la empereur were distinctly heard in their ranks at lamour monsieur le maire argued very strongly against the destruction of the bridge of pont hot it would be absurd he said to blow up a valuable bridge since not one kilometre away there was an excellent ford across which napoleon could march his troops with perfect ease the sapors murmured an assent and their officer colonel delessart 
feeling the temper of his men did not dare insist he quartered them at lamour to await the arrival of the infantry and further orders from general marchand when the fifth regiment of infantry was reported to have reached la Frey, delessart had the sappers out and marched out to meet them although it was then close upon midnight while delessart and his troops encamped at la Frey, cambron who was in command of napoleon's vanguard himself occupied lamur this was on the seventh the mayor who had so strongly protested against the destruction of the bridge of pont hot gathered the population around him and in a body men women and children marched out of the borough along the corps sisteron road in order to give the emperor a rousing welcome it was still early morning napoleon at the head of his old guard entered lamur a veritable ovation greeted him every one pressed round him to see him or touch his horse his coat his stirrups he spoke to the people and held the mayor and municipal officials in long conversation just as practically everywhere else on his route he had won over every heart but his small column which had been eleven hundred strong when he landed at jouan was still only eleven hundred strong he had only rallied four recruits to his standard true he had met with no opposition true that the peasantry of the dauphine had loudly acclaimed him had listened to his harangues and presented him with flowers but he had not had a single encounter with any garrison on his way nor could he boast of any defections in his favour now he was nearing grenoble grenoble which was strongly fortified and well garrisoned and grenoble would be the winning or losing caste of this great gamble for the sovereignty of france it was close on eleven when the great adventurer set out upon this momentous stage of his journey the polish lancers leading then the chasseurs of his old guard with their time-worn grey coats and heavy bearskins some of them were on foot others packed closely together in wagons and carts which the enthusiastic agriculturalists of lamur had placed at the disposal of the emperor napoleon himself followed in his coach his horse being led along amidst thundering cries of godspeed the small column started on its way as for the rest tis in the domain of history every phase of it has been put on record delessart worried in his mind that he had not been able to obey general marchand's orders and destroy the bridge of pont hot his desire to communicate once more with the general his decision to await further orders and in the meanwhile to occupy the narrow defile of la Frey as being an advantageous position wherein to oppose the advance of the ogre all this on the one side on the other the advance of the polish lancers of the carts and wagons 
wherein are crowded the soldiers of the old guard and napoleon himself the great gambler sitting in his coach gazing out through the open windows at the fair land of france the peaceful valley on his left the chain of ice-covered lakes and the turbulent drock on his right beyond the hills frowning telifer snow-capped and pine-clad and far ahead grenoble still hidden from his view as the future too was still hidden the mysterious gate beyond which lay glory and an empire or the ignominy of irretrievable failure history has made a record of it all and it is not the purpose of this true chronicle to do more than recall with utmost brevity the chief incident of that memorable encounter the polish lancers galloping back with the report that the narrow pass was held against them in strong force the old guard climbing helter-skelter out of carts and wagons examining their arms making ready napoleon stepping quickly out of his coach and mounting his charger on the other side delessart holding hurried consultation with the vicomte de st genis whom general marchand has dispatched to him with orders to shoot the brigand and his horde as he would a pack of wolves napoleon is easily recognizable in the distance with his gray overcoat his white horse and his bicorn hat presently he dismounts and walks up and down across the narrow road evidently in a state of great mental agitation delessart's men are sullen and silent a crowd of men and women from grenoble have followed them up thus far they work their way in and out among the infantrymen they have printed leaflets in their hands which they cram one by one into the hands or pockets of the soldiers copies of napoleon's proclamation now an officer of the old guard is seen to ride up the pass delessart recognizes him they were brothers in arms two years ago and served together under the greatest military genius the world has ever known napoleon has sent the man on as an emissary but delessart will not allow him to speak i mean to do my duty he declares but in his voice too there has already crept that note of sullenness which characterized the sapeurs from the first then captain raoul own aide-de-camp to napoleon comes up at full gallop nor does he draw rein till he is up with the entire front of delessart's battalion your emperor is coming he shouts to the soldiers if you fire the first shot will reach him and france will make you answerable for this outrage while he shouts and harangues the men are still sullen and silent and in the distance the lances of the polish cavalry gleam in the sun and the shaggy bearskins of the old guard are seen to move forward up the pass delessart casts a rapid piercing glance over his men sullenness had given place to obvious terror right about turn quick 
march he commands resistance obviously would be useless with these men who are on the verge of laying down their arms he forces on a quick march but the polish lancers are already gaining ground the sound of their horses hoofs stamping the frozen ground the snorting the clanging of arms is distinctly heard delisart now has no option he must make his men turn once more and face the ogre and his battalion before they are attacked in the rear as soon as the order is given and the two little armies stand face to face the polish lancers halt and the old guard stand still and it almost seems for the moment as if nature herself stood still and listened and looked on the genial midday sun is slowly melting the snow on pine trees and rocks one by one the glistening tiny crystals blink and vanish under the warmth of the kiss the hard white road darkens under the thaw and slowly a thin covering of water spreads over the icy crust of the lakes napoleon tells colonel mallet to order the men to lower their arms mallet protests but napoleon reiterates the command more peremptorily this time and mallet must obey then at the head of his old chasseurs thus practically disarmed the emperor and he is every inch an emperor now walks straight up to delisart's opposing troops hot-headed st jenna's cries here he is fire in heaven's name but the sapors the old regiment in which napoleon had served as a young lieutenant in those glorious olden days are now as pale as death their knees shake under them their arms tremble in their hands at ten paces away from the foremost ranks napoleon halts soldiers he cries loudly here i am your emperor do you know me again he advances and with a calm gesture throws open his well-worn grey redingote fire cries st genis in mad exasperation fire commands delisart in a voice rendered shaky with overmastering emotion silence reigns supreme napoleon still advances step by step his redingote thrown open his broad chest challenging the first bullet which would dare to end the bold adventurous daring life is there one of you soldiers here who wants to shoot his emperor if there is here i am fire which of these soldiers who have served under him at jena and austerlitz could resist such a call his voice has lost nothing yet of its charm his personality nothing of its magic ambitious ruthless selfish he may be but to the army a friend a comrade as well as a god suddenly the silence is broken shouts of viva la empereur rend the air they echo down the narrow valley re-echo from hill to hill and reverberate upon the pine-clad heights of telifer broken are the ranks white cockades fly in every direction 
tricolors appear in their hundreds everywhere shakos are waved on the points of the bayonets and always always that cry viva la empereur sappers and infantrymen crowd around the little man in the worn grey redingcoat and he with that rough familiarity which bound all soldiers hearts to him seizes an old sergeant by the ends of his long moustache so you old dog he says you were going to shoot your emperor were you not me replies the man with a growl look at our guns not one of them was loaded delisart in despair yet shaken to the heart his eyes swimming in tears offers his sword to napoleon whereupon the emperor grasps his hand in friendship and comforts him with a few inspiring words only st genis has looked on all this scene with horror and contempt his royalist opinions are well known his urgent appeal to delisart a while ago to shoot the brigand and his hordes still rings in every soldier's ear he is half crazy with rage and there is quite an element of terror in the confused thoughts which crowd in upon his brain already the sappers and infantrymen have joined the ranks of the old guard and napoleon with that inimitable verve and inspiring eloquence of which he was past master was haranguing his troops just then three horsemen dressed in the uniform of officers of the national guard and wearing enormous tricolor cockades as large as soup plates on their shakos are seen to arrive at a break-neck gallop down the pass from grenoble st genis recognized them at a glance they were victor de marmont surgeon captain emery and their friend the glove-maker dumoulin the next moment these three men were at the feet of their beloved hero sire said dumoulin the glove-maker in the name of the citizens of grenoble we hereby offer you our services and one hundred thousand francs collected in the last twenty-four hours for your use i accept both replied the emperor while he grasped vigorously the hands of his three most devoted friends st genis uttered a loud and comprehensive curse then he pulled his horse abruptly round and with such a jerk that it reared and plunged madly forward ere it started galloping away with its frantic rider in the direction of grenoble and grenoble itself was in a turmoil in the barracks the cries of viva la empereur were incessant general marchand was indefatigable in his efforts to still that cry to rouse in the hearts of the soldiers a sense of loyalty to the king your country and your king he shouted from barrack-room to barrack-room our country and our emperor responded the soldiers with ever-growing enthusiasm the spirit of the army and of the people were bonapartist to the core they had never trusted either marchand or prophet fourier who had turned their coats so readily at the restoration they hated the emigres 
the comte de cambray the vicomte de st genis the duc de embrun with their old-fashioned ideas of the semi-divine rights of the nobility second only to the godlike ones of the king they thought them arrogant and untamed over ready to grab once more all the privileges which a bloody revolution had swept away to them napoleon despite the brilliant days of the empire despite his autocracy his militarism and his arrogance represented the people the advanced spirit of the revolution his downfall had meant a return to the old regime the regime of feudal rights of farmers general of heavy taxation and dear bread viva la empereur was cried in the barracks and viva la empereur at the street corners a squadron of hussars had marched into grenoble from vienne just before noon the same squadron which a few months ago at a review by the comte de artois in the presence of the king had shouted viva la empereur what faith could be put in their loyalty now but two infantry regiments came in at the same time from chambery and on these general marchand hoped to be able to reckon the comte charles de la bedoyere was in command of the seventh regiment and though he had served in prussia under napoleon he had tendered his oath loyally to louis the eighteenth at the restoration he was a tried and able soldier and marchand believed in him the general himself reviewed both infantry regiments on the place d'armes on their arrival and then posted them upon the ramparts of the city facing direct to the southeast and dominating the road to lamur de la bedoyere remained in command of the seventh for two hours he paced the ramparts in a state of the greatest possible agitation the nearness of napoleon of the man who had been his comrade in arms first and his leader afterwards had a terribly disturbing effect upon his spirit from below in the city the people's mutterings their grumbling their sullen excitement seemed to rise upwards like an intoxicating incense the attitude of the troops of the gunners as well as of the garrison and of his own regiment worked more potently still upon the colonel's already shaken loyalty then suddenly his mind is made up he draws his sword and shouts viva la empereur soldiers he calls follow me i will show you the way to duty follow me viva la empereur viva la empereur vociferate the troops after me my men to the bon gate after me cries de la bedoyere and to the shouts of viva la empereur the seventh regiment of infantry passes through the gate and marches along the streets of the suburb on towards lamure general marchand hastily apprised of the wholesale defection sends colonel villiers in hot haste in the wake of de la bedoyere 
villiers comes up with the latter two kilometres outside grenoble he talks he persuades he admonishes he scolds de la bedoyere and his men are firm your country and your king shouts villiers our country and our emperor respond the men and they go to join the old guard at la while villiers in despair rides back into grenoble in the town the desertion of the seventh has had a very serious effect the muttered cries of viva la empereur are open shouts now general marchand is at his wits ends he has ordered the closing of every city gate and still the soldiers in batches of tens and twenties at a time contrive to escape out of the town carrying their arms and in many cases baggage with them the royalist faction the women as well as the men spend the whole day in and out of the barrack-rooms talking to the men trying to infuse into them loyalty to the king and to cheer them up by bringing them wine and provisions in the afternoon the vicomte de st genis sick exhausted his horse covered with lather comes back with the story of the pass of lafray and napoleon's triumphant march toward grenoble marchand seriously contemplates evacuating the city in order to save the garrison and his stores prefet fourier congratulates himself on his foresight and on that he has transferred the twenty-five million francs from the cellars of the hotel de ville into the safe-keeping of monsieur le comte de cambray he and general marchand both hope and think that the brigand and his horde cannot possibly be at the gates of grenoble before the morrow and that madame la duchesse d'agen would be well on her way to paris with the money by that time marchand in the meanwhile has made up his mind to retire from the city with his troops it is only a strategical measure he argues to save bloodshed and to save his stores pending the arrival of the comte de artois at lyons with the army corps he gives the order for the general retreat to commence at two o'clock in the morning satisfied that he has done the right thing he finally goes back to his quarters in the hotel du dauphine close to the ramparts the comte de cambray is his guest at dinner and toward seven o'clock the two men at last sit down to a hurried meal both their minds filled with apprehension and not a little fear as to what the next few days will bring it is of course only a question of time says the comte de cambray airily monseigneur le comte de artois will be at lyons directly with forty thousand men and he will easily crush that marauding band of pirates but this time the corsican after his defeat must be put more effectually out of harm's way i personally was never much in favour of elba the english have some islands out in the atlantic or the pacific 
responds general marchand with firm decision it would be safest to shoot the brigand but failing that let the english send him to one of those islands and undertake to guard him well let us drink to that proposition my dear marchand concludes monsieur le comte with a smile hardly had the two men concluded this toast when a fearful din is heard regular howls proceeding from the suburb of bonn the windows of the hotel give on the ramparts and the house itself dominates the bonn gate and the military ground beyond it hastily marchand jumps up from the table and throws open the window he and the comte step out upon the balcony the din has become deafening with a hand that slightly trembles now general marchand points to the extensive grounds that lie beyond the city gate and monsieur le comte quickly smothers an exclamation of terror a huge crowd of peasants armed with scythes and carrying torches which flicker in the frosty air have invaded the slopes and flats of the military zone they are yelling viva la empereur at the top of their voices and from walls and bastions reverberates the answering cry viva la empereur vociferated by infantrymen and gunners and sappers and echoed and re-echoed with passionate enthusiasm by the people of grenoble assembled in their thousands in the narrow streets which abut upon the ramparts and in the midst of the peasantry surrounded by them as by a cordon napoleon and his small army just reinforced by the seventh regiment of infantry have halted expectant napoleon's aide-de-camp capitaine raoul accompanied by half a dozen lancers comes up to the palisade which bars the immediate approach to the city gates open he cries loudly so loudly that his young firm voice rises above the tumult around open in the name of the emperor marchand sees it all he hears the commanding summons hears the thunderous and enthusiastic cheers which greet captain raoul's call to surrender he and the comte de cambray are still standing upon the balcony of the hotel that faces the gate of bonn and dominates from its high ground the ramparts opposite white-cheeked and silent the two men have gazed before them and have understood to attempt to stem this tide of popular enthusiasm would inevitably be fatal the troops inside grenoble were as ready to cross over to the brigand standard as was colonel de la bedoer's regiment of infantry the ramparts and the surrounding military zone were lit up by hundreds of torches by their flickering light the two men on the balcony could see the faces of the people and those of the soldiers who were even now being ordered to fire upon raoul and the lancers colonel roussel who is in command of the troops at the gate sends a hasty messenger 
to general marchand the brigand demands that we open the gate reports the messenger breathlessly tell the colonel to give the order to fire is marchand's peremptory response are you coming with me monsieur le comte he asks hurriedly but he does not wait for a reply wrapping his cloak around him he goes in the wake of the messenger monsieur le comte de cambray is close on his heels five minutes later the general is up on the ramparts he has thrown a quick piercing glance round him there are two thousand men up here twenty guns ammunition in plenty out there only peasants and a heterogeneous band of some fifteen hundred men one shot from a gun perhaps would send all that crowd flying the first fusillade might scatter the band of brigands but marchand cannot dare not give the positive order to fire he knows that rank insubordination positive refusal to obey would follow he talks to the men he harangues he begs them to defend their city against this horde of corsican pirates to every word he says the men but oppose the one cry viva la empereur the comte de cambray turns in despair to monsieur de st genis who is a captain of artillery and whose men had hitherto been supposed to be tried and loyal royalists if the men won't fire maurice asks the comte in despair cannot the officers at least fire the first shot monsieur le comte replies st genis through set teeth for his heart was filled with wrath and shame at the defection of his men the gunners have declared that if the officers shoot the men will shatter them to pieces with their own batteries the crowds outside the gate itself are swelling visibly they press in from every side toward the city loudly demanding the surrender of the town open the gates open they shout and their clamour becomes more insistent every moment already they have broken down the palisades which surround the military zone they pour down the slopes against the gate but the latter is heavy and massive studded with iron stoutly resisting axe or pick open they cry open in the emperor's name they are within hailing distance of the soldiers on the ramparts what price your plums they shout gaily to the gunners quite cheap retort the latter with equal gaiety but there's no danger of the emperor getting any the women sing the old couplet bon bon napoleon va rentrer dans sa maison and the soldiers on the ramparts take up the refrain nos allons voir la grande napoleon la vainqueur de toutes les nations what can we do monsieur le comte says general marchand at last we shall have to give in i'll not stay and see it replies the comte i should die of shame 
even while the two men are talking and discussing the possibilities of an early surrender napoleon himself has forced his way through the tumultuous throng of his supporters and accompanied by victor de marmont and colonel de la bedoyer he advances as far as the gate which still stands barred defiantly against him i command you to open this gate he cries aloud colonel roussel who is in command replies defiantly i only take orders from the general himself he is relieved of his command retorts napoleon i know my duty insists roussel i only take orders from the general victor de marmont intoxicated with his own enthusiasm maddened with rage at sight of st genis whose face is just then thrown into vivid light by the glare of the torches cries wildly soldiers of the emperor who are being forced to resist him turn on those treacherous officers of yours tear off their epaulets i say his shrill and frantic cries seem to precipitate the inevitable climax the tumult has become absolutely delirious the soldiers on the ramparts tumble over one another in a mad rush for the gate which they try to break open with the butt-end of their rifles but they dare not actually attack their own officers and in any case they know that the keys of the city are still in the hands of general marchand and general marchand has suddenly disappeared feeling the hopelessness and futility of further resistance he has gone back to his hotel and is even now giving orders and making preparations for leaving grenoble prefet fourier hastily summoned is with him and the comte de cambray is preparing to return immediately to brestelot we shall all leave for paris to-morrow as early as possible he says as he finally takes leave of the general and the prefet and take the money with us of course if the king which god forbid is obliged to leave paris it will be most acceptable to him until the day when the allies are once more in the field and ready to crush irretrievably this time this corsican scourge of europe one or two of the royalist officers have succeeded in massing together some two or three hundred men out of several regiments who appear to be determined to remain loyal st genis is not among these his men had been among the first to cry viva la empereur when ordered to fire on the brigand and his hordes they had even gone so far as to threaten their officers lives now covered with shame and boiling with wrath at the defection st genis asks leave of the general to escort monsieur le comte de cambray and his party to paris we shall be better off for extra protection urges monsieur le comte de cambray in support of st genis's plea for leave i shall only have the coachman and two postilions with me monsieur de st genis would be of immense assistance in case of footpads 
the road to paris is quite safe i believe says general marchand and at lyons you will meet the army of monsieur le comte d'artois but perhaps monsieur de st genis had better accompany you as far as there at any rate he can then report himself at lyons twenty-five millions is a large sum of course but the purpose of your journey has remained a secret has it not of course says monsieur le comte unhesitatingly for he has completely erased victor de marmont from his mind well then all you need fear is an attack from footpads and even that is unlikely concludes general marchand who by now is in a great hurry to go but monsieur de st genis has my permission to escort you the general entrusts the keys of the bongate to colonel roussil he has barely time to execute his hasty flight having arranged to escape out of grenoble by the st laurent gate on the north of the town in the meanwhile a carter from the suburb of st joseph outside the bongate has harnessed a team of horses to one of his wagons and brought along a huge joist twenty pairs of willing and stout arms are already manipulating this powerful engine for the breaking open of the resisting gate already the doors are giving way the hinges creak and while general marchand and prefet fourier with their small body of faithful soldiers rush precipitately across the deserted streets of the town colonel roussil makes ready to open the gate of bonn to the emperor and to his soldiers my regiment was prepared to turn against me he says to his men but i shall not turn against them then he formally throws open the gate ecstatic delight joyful enthusiasm succeeds the frantic cries of a while ago napoleon entering the city of grenoble was nearly crushed to death by the frenzy of the crowd cheered to the echoes surrounded by a delirious populace which hardly allowed him to move it was hours before he succeeded in reaching the hotel destroyed dauphines where he was resolved to spend the night since it was kept by an ex-soldier one of his own old guard of the italian campaign the enthusiasm was kept up all night the town was illuminated until dawn men and women paraded the streets singing the marseilles and shouting viva la empereur in a small room simply furnished but cosy and comfortable the great adventurer who had conquered half the world and lost it and had now set out to conquer it again sat with half a dozen of his most faithful friends cambron and raoul victor de marmont and emery on the table spread out before him was an ordnance map of the province his clenched hand rested upon it his eyes those eagle-like piercing eyes which had so often called his soldiers to victory gazed out straight before him as if through the bare whitewashed walls of this humble hotel-room he saw the vision 
of the brilliant halls of the tuileries the imperial throne the empress beside him all her faithlessness and pusillanimity forgiven his son whom he worshipped his marshals grouped around him and with a gesture of proud defiance he threw back his head and said loudly until to-day i was only an adventurer to-night i am a prince once more it was the next morning in that same sparsely furnished and uncarpeted room of the hotel des trois dauphines that napoleon spoke to victor de marmont to emery and dumoulin about the money which had been stolen last year from the empress and which he understood had been deposited in the cellars of the hotel de ville i am not going he said to levy a war-tax on my good city of grenoble but my good and faithful soldiers must be paid and i must provision my army in case i encounter stronger resistance at lyons than i can cope with and am forced to make a detour i want the money the empress's money which that infamous talleyrand stole from her so you de marmont had best go straight away to the hotel de ville and in my name summon the prefet to appear before me you can tell him at once that it is on account of the money i will go at once sire replied de marmont with a regretful sigh but i fear me that it is too late too late snapped out the emperor with a frown what do you mean by too late i mean that fourier has left grenoble in the trail of marchand and that two days ago unless i'm very much mistaken he disposed of the money disposed of the money you are mad de marmont not altogether sire when i say that fourier disposed of the empress's money i only mean that he deposited it in what he would deem a safe place the cur exclaimed napoleon with a yet tighter clenching of his hand and mighty fist turning against the hand that fed him and made him what he is well he added impatiently where is the money now in the keeping of monsieur le comte de cambray at brestelot replied de marmont without hesitation very well said the emperor take a company of the seventh regiment with you to brestelot and requisition the money at once if as i believe the comte no longer has the money by him make him tell you where it is i mean sire that it is my belief that monsieur le comte's sister and daughter will undertake to take the money to paris hoping by their sex and general air of innocence to escape suspicion in connection with the money don't worry me with all these details de marmont broke in napoleon with a frown of impatience i told you to take a company with you and to get me the empress's money see to it that this is done and leave me in peace he hated arguing hated opposition the very suggestion of any difficulty his followers and intimates knew that already de marmont had repented that he had allowed his tongue 
to ramble on quite so much now he felt that silence must redeem his blunder silence now and success in his undertaking he bent the knee for this homage the great corsican adventurer and one-time dictator of civilized europe loved to receive he kissed the hand which had once wielded the sceptre of a mighty empire and was ready now to grasp it again then he rose and gave the military salute it shall be done sire was all that he said his heart was full of enthusiasm and the task allotted to him was a congenial one the baffling and discomfiture of those who had insulted him if as he believed crystal would be accompanying her aunt on the journey toward paris then indeed would his own longing for some sort of revenge for the humiliation which he had endured on that memorable sunday evening be fully gratified it was with a light and swinging step that he ran down the narrow stairs of the hotel in the little entrance hall below he met clifford in his usual impulsive way without thought of what had gone before or was likely to happen in the future he went up to the englishman with outstretched hand my dear clifford he said with unaffected cordiality i am glad to see you i have been wondering what had become of you since we parted on sunday last my dear friend he added ecstatically what glorious events eh he did not wait for clifford's reply nor did he appear to notice the latter's obvious coldness of manner but went prattling on with great volubility what a man he exclaimed nodding significantly in the direction whence he had just come a six days march mostly on foot and along steep mountain paths and to-day as fresh and vigorous as if he had just spent a month's holiday at some pleasant watering-place what luck to be serving such a man and what luck to be able to render him really useful service the tables will be turned eh my dear clifford he added giving his taciturn friend a jovial dig in the ribs and what lovely discomfiture for our proud aristocrats eh they will be sorry to have made an enemy of victor de marmont what whereupon clifford made a violent effort to appear friendly and jovial too why he said with a pleasant laugh what madcap ideas are floating through your head now madcap schemes ejaculated de marmont nothing more or less my dear clifford than complete revenge for the humiliation those de cambrays put upon me last sunday revenge that sounds exciting said clifford with a smile even while his palm itched to slap the young braggart's face exciting pardieu of course it will be exciting they have no idea that i guessed their little machinations madame la duchesse d'agen travelling to paris forsooth ay but with five-and-twenty millions sewn somewhere inside her petticoats well 
the emperor happens to want his own five and twenty millions if you please so madame la duchesse or monsieur le comte will have to disgorge and i shall have the pleasing task of making them disgorge what say you to that friend clifford that i am sorry for you replied the other dryly sorry for me why because it is never a pleasing task to bully a defenceless woman and an old one at that de marmont laughed aloud bully madame la duchesse d'agen he exclaimed sacre tonnerre what do you take me for i shall not bully her fifty soldiers don't bully a defenceless woman we shall treat madame la duchesse with every consideration we shall only remove five-and-twenty millions of stolen money from her carriage that is all you may be mistaken about the money de marmont it may be anywhere except in the keeping of madame la duchesse it may be at the chateau de brestelot in the keeping of monsieur le comte de cambray and this i shall find out first of all but i must not stand gossiping any longer i must see colonel de la bedoyere and get the men i want what are your plans my dear clifford the same as before replied bobby quietly i shall leave grenoble as soon as i can let the emperor send you on a special mission to lord grenville in london to urge england to remain neutral in the coming struggle i think not said clifford enigmatically de marmont did not wait to ask him to what this brief remark had applied he bade his friend a hasty farewell then he turned on his heel and gaily whistling the refrain of the marseilles stalked out of the hotel clifford remained standing in the narrow panelled hall which just then reeked strongly of stewed onions and of hot coffee he never moved a muscle but remained absolutely quiet for the space of exactly two minutes then he consulted his watch it was then close on midday and finally went back to his room an hour after dawn that self-same morning the travelling coach of monsieur le comte de cambray was at the perron of the chateau de brestelot at the last moment when monsieur le comte hopelessly discouraged by the surrender of grenoble to the usurper came home at a late hour of the night he decided that he too would journey to paris with his sister and daughter taking the money with him to his majesty who indeed would soon be in sore need of funds at the same late hour of the night monsieur le comte discovered that with the exception of faithful hector and one or two scullions in the kitchen his male servants both indoor and out had wandered in a body out to grenoble to witness the emperor's entry into the city they had marched out of the chateau to the cry of viva l'empereur and outside the gates had joined a number of villagers of brestelot who were bent on the same errand fortunately one of the coachmen and two of the older grooms from the stables returned in the early dawn after the street demonstrations outside the emperor's windows 
had somewhat calmed down and with the routine of many years of domestic service had promptly and without murmurings set to to obey the orders given to them the day before to have the travelling burline ready with four horses by seven o'clock it was very cold the coachmen and postillions shivered under their threadbare liveries the coachman had wrapped a woollen comforter round his neck and pulled his white beaver broad-brimmed hat well over his brows as the north-east wind was keen and would blow into his face all the way to lyons where the party would halt for the night he had thick woollen gloves on and of his entire burly person only the tip of his nose could be seen between his muffler and the brim of his hat the postilions whip in hand could not wrap themselves up quite so snugly they were trying to keep themselves warm by beating their arms against their chest Monsieur le comte aided by hector was arranging for the disposal of leather wallets underneath the cushions of the carriage the wallets contained the money twenty-five millions in notes and drafts a godsend to the king if the usurper did succeed in driving him out of the tuileries presently the ladies came down the perron steps with faithful jean in attendance who carried small bags and dressing-cases both the ladies were wrapped in long fur-lined cloaks and madame la duchesse d'agen had drawn a hood closely round her face but crystal de cambray stood bareheaded in the cold frosty air the hood of her cloak thrown back her own fair hair dressed high forming the only covering for her head End of chapter four part one